Hello, ladies and gents. Yep. Welcome to another episode of DFV. I am your co-host, Black Cenophile. And I'm your co-host, Brad. As your co-host, Brad. And uh, on this one, we have a showdown of uh, critically panned thrillers. So, you know, here at DFV, we like to give movies a chance. And, you know, when I presented this topic to Brad, I said, these are two movies here that I don't I don't think they deserve the hate they get today. Well, not even today, but uh, at the time they first came out, uh, you know, one of these is considered like a cult classic now. But I, I don't I don't think these films kind of deserve the the panning they got uh, from critics. But, uh, you know, Brad, I'm I'm sure you've seen like at least one of these movies before. What What's your experience with these? Oh, yeah. So just to jump into it, we are talking about The Beach and the life of David Gale. And I had heard of The Life of David Gale before because of Kevin Spacey's role in it and everything. And but The Beach was one that I, I want to say that I had heard the plot of it before, but I didn't connect it to like oh yeah it's a leonardo dicaprio movie and everything like that so because mm. like watching it i was like this is very familiar but i know i hadn't seen it yet <laughs> oh okay really see i would have thought it was the opposite you know most people are familiar with the beach but aren't that familiar with the life of david gale see like i said i think at some point i've seen like some kind of synopsis for it or somebody was talking about it somewhere and everything because everything was familiar but i knew i hadn't seen it before i got you i got you i got you um i completely understand that so so looking at that you know these are two films here that uh you know one of them at the time was very controversial because of its uh you know theme around the death penalty and things like that uh, the life of David Gale was very controversial in its time. Mm -hmm. And the beach was, you know, this this was uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and still in his, uh, you know, uh, hot boy summer phase, so to speak. But, you know, getting more nuanced roles as well. You know what I mean? Kind of coming into he was already a great actor, but kind of coming into his own with more mature roles where he's kind of straddling that line between, OK, eye candy and, you know, great acting. Um, so these are these these are two interesting films right here. And uh, I want to say, man, just just getting into it. I, I think we should start uh, with the beach. Um, I know going chronological is kind of a, you know, pain point here, but I, I just think it makes sense. Um, you know what? I'm not going to fight you on this one. I we can start with the beach. OK. All right. So I'll take it from here and uh, with The Beach, directed by Danny Boyle, we have The Beach starring Leonardo DiCaprio as Richard, a traveler who is trying to find that next big thing, that, you know, rush of traveling where his motto is you, you always take every opportunity you can, but you don't overstay your welcome when you're going through that opportunity. And in doing so, he meets a f person that claims to know of a secret beach that is completely uninhabited and gorgeous. And the only way to get there is by following this very secret map. But following this meeting, this person, they commit, you know, suicide. And he's left with this map that he doesn't know if it's real or not. And he eventually gets two French-speaking you know, travelers to join him on a venture to see if this island is even real. And mm -hmm. that is the plot of uh, the beach <laughs> in its most basic sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. So looking at this film, this is um uh this is definitely something that that holds uh close to my heart uh as a film, you know, cuz it was a film that uh when I first saw it, I don't know if my dad and I watched it for the first time on cable or if he rented it. I I forgot which, but it was a film that I kind of connect to you know, films you grow up watching with your mom or your dad. This was kind of mm-hmm. one of those films with me, with me and my dad. Like we watched this film together and I was sincerely surprised as a kid as to how good it was going to be. Because back then I was like, Leonardo DiCaprio, is this a film for girls? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, 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 what, what is this? But when we were watching it, at some point, the moment they hit the beach, um, the moment him and, uh, you know, Francois and, and Etienne uh, hit the beach, you know, and, and you know, uh, you know, stuff kind of hits the fan with the uh, the the drug dealers and the guns. I immediately got excited as a kid. Like, hold up, what? And then he does like they do like that big uh, cliff jump, um, and uh, they end up at the place. I was like, this film is way more interesting than I expected it to be. So going from that, I didn't understand a lot of the like themes of you know uh, a lot of the existential themes of you know society's bad. We're just messing up the world. We don't take in the beauty of uh, of what uh, the world can, um, you know, present to us. Mm-hmm. I didn't get any of that as a kid, obviously. But, um, you know, looking at it from adult eyes today, this is just such a great, beautiful thriller. It, it really is. Because, yeah, once they reach this pinnacle society that everybody kind of has to do their part, there's really no like money it's you you have the person that's the chef and i i love how his entire thing is he's just so hygienic and because they're constantly cooking fish he just constantly smells like fish and he absolutely hates it with a passion that he's just mm-hmm. known as uh what was his name his nickname was like germaphobe or something like that because he was constantly using soap in order to unhygienics unhygienics yes and I, I love that this is like you can tell that the people in this community are like, oh, yeah, we finally got away from society. We're off the grid. We we have freedom for the first time in their lives and they love it there and everything. But behind everything, as it progresses, it kind of gets to be a little bit more like, but is this perfect? Is, is this the best right. way for them? <laughs> Ooh, uh Talk about people you you you're meeting for the first time. I feel like this was the first film that made me fall in love with Tilda Swinton. Mm-hmm. Like this is the first film I remember seeing her in because every other film after this, um, and you know she's she's known for many great roles, but every after film after this, I was like the beach, like that's homegirl from the beach. She was the villain from the beach. Like you know um, this this role this role left a, a impression on me for like how much I would uh you know love Tilda Swinton in a, in a leading role because uh she's perfectly ca- we're gonna get to Leo in a minute but she's perfectly cast as Sal right oh yeah this charis- charismatic leader you know all about you're welcome uh, we don't leave that often but you're welcome here and. I feel like as the film goes on and a bit more of her uh, hubris comes out, like she balances it like so perfectly. Oh, yeah. Well, I one scene that when they're first meeting everybody in that kind of village or the island itself is 
after they make that jump and everything and somebody comes and goes, hey, you, you guys did it. You know, congratulations. You know, mm-hmm. I come with me. You got to meet Sal and everybody. And right. I, I love how Leonardo DiCaprio kind of like monologues is like, I didn't know what to expect going into this. Were we going to find people living in caves or were we going to find people in some kind of luxury that I could never fathom? And he's going, but no, it, I found normal people living normal lives just in this forested area that seems almost too good to be true. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to say the buildup is pretty nice, too. Like, you know, just not taking it all the way back, but just taking a step backward. I, I love how we're introduced to Richard. Right. And uh, I feel like this is great writing on introducing the character. Uh, he's, you know, he's walking through a market, I believe, in Bank in, in Bangkok, and he gets invited by some people to go. Hey, you want to drink uh, snake blood? He's like, uh, no. What's the point of that? And you know, at some point, they kind of turn him around to do it, and he does it. And you know, I, I love the facial expressions Leonardo makes, like, like, like he's like having like a like a convulsion from drinking it because it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. And he goes, uh, "Well done, gentlemen. Well done." And then yeah. the credits come up. I said, I, th- I said, I love that. That's a great introduction to this character who likes to, who, who's looking for adventure and some sense of purpose, almost to the point where it could cost them their life. Also, it shows that he can be goaded into something because the person yes, in order to sell too. him on it literally is like ah, uh, typical American, not willing to try anything that you know scares them a little bit. You know, it's weird, so I'm not gonna do it. And yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio is like. You know what? Yeah, no, I will do that. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to prove you wrong. And that's kind of how he meets the person with the map as well, is the, the person kind of is, you know, busts down uh, or he tears away like part of like the door to his cabin and just goes, hey, you got anything to smoke? And Leonardo, you know, Richard's character is like, no. Oh, I do. <laughs> it's like, what the heck is going on here? Right, right. Daffy. Uh, yes. Yeah, da- Daffy's a pretty great character because he's kind of like the ghost of uh, Christmas past of the of the story. Um, you know, great performance by Robert Car- Carlyle. But like he's he's kind of like a remnant of of, of Richard's. Um, how do I how do I put this? He he kind of co- he kind of comes as a ghost of Christmas past for Richard because he's the reason. It's kind of inspiration why he's there, but his inspiration comes on comes from a sour note because he committed suicide. Yeah. Um, you know, Daffy commits, uh, you know, like commits suicide and, you know, Richard goes in there, finds the map. And that's what started this whole thing. So it's it's Richard finding paradise, but through a very, very sad, dark means. And then we which he realizes isn't really paradise at all. You know, it's um, it's funny because. He, he he talks about people in society being like closed off and just wanting to party and just like, you know, like I said, tearing up the world. Like uh, as, at one point before he checks into his room, you see some people just laying around watching something on the screen. I think it was Apocalypse Now. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But he says you go halfway across the world just to watch a movie on the big screen. you got to ask yourself, what's the point? Yeah, you can it- do that at home. Yeah, you travel the world for exotic, you know, views, but then you go to a place where you just see the same old thing that you could see at home. Yeah, and at some point the film kind of asks yourself, 
it, it, well, it kind of like presents a question to him and the audience like, OK, well, you really want to venture. All right. Be careful what you wish for. And that's kind of like what, what sets this uh, movie in motion. But, you know, I, I, I want to take a step back there just to talk about where we was at, because like, you know, I, I loved I love how the film engages you when, when you're learning about the community. You know, you're learning about unhygienics who hate smelling like fish. You're learning about Sal. You're learning about bugs. You know, Sal's mm -hmm. uh, insecure boyfriend, uh, justifiably so. Um, you're learning about uh, Kitty, who loves cricket, and no one knows what the game is. Like, mm -hmm. you know, he, we, they just know he loves cricket. Um, and then you got the love triangle between, you know, Richard, Francois, and Etienne. Uh, which is inevitable, you know. This this is a, you know, this is a sexy thriller at the same time. So you need some kind of steamy romance there, you know. I love how everything engages you. You know, what I mean, it has all the typical things for uh, I, I want to say like a popcorn movie, but it's not made in a popcorn way. You know, Danny Boyle's directing this, right? Yeah, and the best part is like as you're learning about these people and everything like that, it the uneasiness of this paradise island slowly creeps in a little bit when one person kind of has a toothache and they're like, I need to go see a dentist. And you know, it Sal is going, no, you, you can't leave the island to go see a dentist. That's not allowed. Mm. And mm. so they have people literally do a tooth extraction right there on him and Richard's watching this and Sal literally turns and goes, do you see a problem with this? And he goes, no, there's some things you got to do in order to keep the secret safe, you know? And it starts to like tune in like, oh, this isn't so much a paradise as it is like a little bit of a cult. And yeah, even like when Sal you know, says, look, we need to go into town to get some rice because there was something that had, I can't remember if it got mold on their rice or what it was that they weren't able to use it anymore. And mm -hmm. so they wouldn't starve. They were going to go back into town and get rice. And Richard ends up going with her. And in doing mm -hmm. so, everybody gives him like this huge shopping list of everything they need. Like, I need as many AAA batteries as you can get. And I love how that one that one sticks in my head because it goes through that one like three times where he's like, no, 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 listen, all the AAA batteries you can get. <laughs> and mm -hmm. along with like everything else, everybody wants like makeup, you know, uh, various. I'm trying to remember some of the other things that they were asking him for. But yeah, it, throughout the entire thing, he's creating this giant shopping list and he eventually goes back to town. And like the monologue there is another great one where he's like, the, the second I showed up back in like civilization, I couldn't wait to leave again. Like the right. the hustle of everything, the partying, he was just so disgusted by what everything he saw was. And it's funny because while he's there, some surfers he had previously seen right before he went to the island mm, and yeah. he was they were talking to him about like how they had heard of this place and everything and it, that's what made richard originally start thinking oh maybe this is real other people have heard of this place so he gave them a copy of the map so they could go after him at some point and prior to this he had already told sal we don't have a copy of the map. We didn't tell anybody else about it. So there's no way that this secret can get out. 
And then all of a sudden, these people are there while he's with Sal going, hey, remember that map you gave us? We haven't followed it right. yet. And he has to, like, try and save face and be like, no, it's not real. It's, you know, it's fake. You know, the whole thing's fake. Don't try and go there. <laughs> and it, it's it's such a great thing to kind of because, you know, Sal is like, it's not about the lying, you know, it, it's about the like mistrust. And it's like, isn't that the same mm. thing? <laughs> What what's different here? Like right, see, there's uneasiness about her. Absolutely, and you're making this. You know, it, it's with me being at adult age now. From like over the years, I've watched this movie. As an adult, I look at it like she's a charismatic cult leader. Mm-hmm. Like you know, like I didn't I didn't look at it that way. You know, at, over the years as I watch a movie, because it's like when you're watching a film, you kind of just know all the elements by heart because you just a, a film that you love just gives you a certain type of comfort. You don't think too much about it. You're just like, okay, oh, the beach is on. I'll watch the beach. Mm-hmm. But looking at it from an aspect of new eyes, yeah, dude, like Sal is like a, she's a perfect cult leader because the more and more you get to know her, you know, the more you you get to like, like reveal the onions off a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And also there's the scene where, you know, Richard sleeps with Sal uh, prior to this, he was intertwined in that love triangle with the uh, two French people, uh, Francois and Etienne. So it, this shows like that level of distrust between them where, you know, Sal is going, look, you know, I won't tell and I will forgive for the occurrence with the map as long as you don't tell anybody what just happened here. And kind of keeping it away from bugs as, you know her boyfriend that is very uh as you said justifiably you know insecure insecure yeah it's justifiable like like uh like a, a funny moment is uh when richard's like taking down what everybody wants you know bugs comes up and richard's like all right man what you need and bugs is like just holds his nuts in a vice grip oh saying, yeah keep your dick in your pants and don't uh don't screw my girlfriend and then he just lets it go. And then he doesn't even ask for anything. That's it. That's yep. all he does. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, one thing I want to say, um, hand a little bit towards uh, the kind of insanity part of the story. So at some point, people do learn that they had sex. You know, Francois gets angry, you know, and heartbroken. Um, but there's a thing where um, Christo uh one of the uh uh i forgot what he, he was he was one of the sweetest fishermen that lived on the um community uh there's a shark attack that happens i love how this scene pops up man like i love the shot of um you know them carrying him and he's just uh he's in pain you just see nothing but blood and then leonardo DiCaprio standing and looking the trail and you just get like this huge wide shot of just blood trailing mm-hmm. to the ocean that's just such a beautiful shot man yeah um yeah. Yeah. Also, the fact that, you know, as they don't have doctors on the island and everything, like he's missing chunks of him, you know, and they're like, we got to get you to, you know, a doctor. You just can't say where you were, or where this happened or anything. And he's so terrified of the fact that he just got attacked by a shark. He's like, I'm not going anywhere near the water. There's there's no way. So right. he like dies on the island Meanwhile, there's another person that has gotten attacked as well, not as critically. And Christo. Yeah. 
and he just kind of is slowly dying and the community just kind of gets fed up with it and just kind of leaves him in the forest in order to get on with their life about, well, we lost some people. Oh, well, moving on. And of course, right. you know, uh, Etienne has a problem with this. One of the Frenchmen that, you know, Richard came along with, he's like, what do you mean? You're just going to leave him. That's that's terrible. Why would you do this? And Richard, along with everybody else, is like, yeah, OK, whatever. Let's get back to our lives now. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I kind of want to like touch on this. Right. So this is kind of like the beginning of the end uh, right here. But I like how. See, I think this sequence plays a little over long. Like it's a little too extended, but there's a moment where, you know, the surfer dudes that uh, Richard met, they mm-hmm. kind of become close to the island. And then Sal gets mad because, um, you know, they're, they're close. And so she tells Richard, your job is to stay here and make sure that they don't get on this island. Like, you know, you are to stay here and make sure you turn them away when they get here or anything like that. At some point, Richard goes insane. Uh, he starts to imagine. I, I love this effect for a 2000 film. I love this effect that he he imagines he's on his Game Boy, like he's in the game, like jogging. And then he really starts to lose his mind past that, thinking that he's uh not that he's like he's animal like kind of. Yeah. Um, he's in his own that, little adventure world now. Yeah, I think that sequence played a little too long for me. Like, I feel like a, a lot of that could have been wrapped up in in, in shorter than it was. Um, but all of that leads to, like, him staying in this kind of, like, mindset to the point where he witnesses, you know, the surfer's deaths. And then immediately he snapped back to reality. Um, Yeah, man. So what did you think of that that whole sequence? I, I would agree. It It is a little bit drawn out. It it is very like cartoonish at the beginning with like the whole mm-hmm. video game overlay and showing him, you know, picturing like being attacked by birds and, you know, everything like that. And like the monkeys that are like in the forest and everything attacking him. And it's like, OK, it that that was funny. But then it just has a montage of him kind of going crazier as he's like watching the farmers that are also on the island that are growing marijuana in order to survive and everything. And they don't want anybody coming to the island, obviously, because they're, you know, growing marijuana there to sell everywhere. And when those surfers come up, obviously, they're like, no, we said no more people here and they Mm. kill them and everything like that. But yeah, the whole thing with just Richard being on his own, because we have a moment where uh, Francois comes and she's like, Sal told us that you slept with her and everything like that. How could you do this? And, you know, I asked if anything happened between you two and you said no, which just shows that Richard just lies about everything. He is such a pathological liar throughout this entire movie. And mm, yeah. it, it always comes to bite him in, you know, the end. But at the same time, he continues to do it every turn he has. And yeah, with the farmers finding out about, somebody else coming to the island they pretty much tell everybody you gotta leave this is this is my life here we can't risk more people showing up and sal's like no we're not leaving and that's where like the fear of her really shows up is she's like handed a gun and told you know look he's the one that brought these people here 
prove that uh, you're willing to do anything to keep this place safe and secret. Uh, here's a gun. You know what to do. Well, I would uh, I would even say this. I, yeah, that 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 part's like uh, really shocking. But I would say the scene that's so, that, you know, that still kind of makes me sad today is like when Richard, uh, you know, has to smother Christo to put him out of his misery before. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's a pretty sad scene to watch. Yeah. Well, at that point, he basically was dead. It, it there was no bringing him back at that point because he had uh, gangrene. And it was already basically transferred up his body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand. Yeah, that's it, it's just it's just kind of a sad scene that I wanted to point out. Oh, yeah. but yeah, you know, we got the uh, we got the ending where you know uh, Sal, um, you know, says uh, you know she can handle it, and uh, you know she can handle killing. Like Richard asks her, he says, "Oh, can you really handle killing somebody for your little piece of paradise?" She says she can. She pulls the trigger. There's no bullet in there. And, you know, everyone is kind of just like it's almost like a light switch is is, is turned off because everyone is kind of like telling her, do it, do it. We don't want to leave. Do it, do it. But when it turns out that there's no bullet in the gun and I, I feel like this was realistic, not just because it's the end of the movie, but I feel like this can happen when you're under the spell of a cult. Mm-hmm. Like um, it was like a light switch went off. Like, wait a minute. Why, why are we asking her, her to kill this kid? Like, what's what's happened to us? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I feel like that was like an effective moment. It, it very much was. It basically that is the moment in the movie that makes you go, "Wow, that that escalated." You know, to like a Lord point of flies. That, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly like that. Actually, um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I, I want to say something about this film. The thing that makes this film so uh, so great is that I feel like this is like one of the, I feel like this is the first time Danny Boyle and, and Alex Garland uh, collaborated together because Alex Garland, you know, who made you know Annihilation, Ex Machina, Devs, uh, he wrote the book um, for the beach. He didn't write the screenplay for this movie, but he wrote the book that this uh, film was based off of. Okay, I wasn't aware that yeah. he was a part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I uh, I just wanted to note that uh, overall, man, I think this film uh, is great, dude. I think it's a beautiful thriller. I think it's a great early collaboration between uh, Danny Boyle and Leonardo DiCaprio. Everything here fits. There are some moments where it is like like we said, like the uh, the insanity sequence was a little extended. Um, yeah, there are some moments that are very two thousand ish. But overall, I feel like the film does what it does well, and uh, I don't feel like it deserved the critical panning it it, uh, it received. I give it a oh, four out of five. Yeah, this movie by no means deserves the critical panning that I got and everything. But yeah, there are some scenes that do go a little bit long. There, This is definitely early on in Leonardo DiCaprio's acting career. You can tell, especially mm. during some scenes where he has to like be angry. Uh, I don't know why, but early days Leonardo DiCaprio, his angry like things just come off more comical than, oh, he's intimidating. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But for this one, I I give it a 3.5. I understand. I understand. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, So that leads us to our next film here, The Life of David Gale, uh, directed by Alan Parker. 
And uh, this film stars uh, Kevin Spacey, uh, Kate Winslet, Laura Linney, uh, and uh, Gabriel Mann. So this film is about, uh, you know, the, the the titular character, David Gale, who is um, on death row for uh, killing um, a fellow uh, capital punishment uh, activist friend of his. So over the course of this film, we follow uh, Bitsy Bloom. Now, Bitsy is a uh, journalist that's, um, you know, uh, looking at this uh, story of David Gale, you know, doing a story on... Um, you know, him being on death row and trying to figure out the truth of what happened. Why, why would he just kill his friend, um, uh, you know, rumored lover out of nowhere? It doesn't make any sense. So what she does is, uh, you know, goes to visit David and through interviews with him, learns a little bit about his life. You know, how he uh, was a college professor, his fall from grace due to, uh, um, uh, you know, a uh, uh, well, we'll get into it due to a scandal and, um, you know, his his activism career and just. You know, just kind of like the uh, just the downfalls he received in his life and what led up to him, you know, supposedly, you know, killing his friend or maybe not. So going from that, that's well, that's basically the bare bones plot of the life of David Gale. So this film right here, given a little bit of backstory. Now, this is a film that I saw that I believe my mom rented um, when when I was younger as a kid. And. You know, watching it as a kid, uh, not too far removed from the beach, it, it wasn't really a film I understood. Mm-hmm. Like, even with the the final twist at the end, I was like, oh, okay. But again, looking at it from young eyes, um, looking at it from new eyes today, you know, what I've learned about a film like this is that it was, it, it was highly controversial at its time. You know, again, this is pre-Kevin Spacey allegations. This is 2003 here. But it was highly controversial because of its take on the death penalty. Um, some people thought it was pandering, you know, well, a lot of people thought it was pandering. Some people thought it wasn't that bad. It was just kind of a messy thriller and, you know, with great performances. It it, uh, it had a mixed bag at the time. Now, do you have a history with this film or was this your first time? This was my first time watching it, but I had heard of it because of Kevin Spacey's performance and everything in it, because it was about the same time that he was first cast for House of Cards on Netflix and everybody was going like, oh, my God, this could be Kevin Spacey's best ever. And everybody started going through like everything that he had done previously. And this mm. movie, of course, was one that came up. And yeah, it is very politically charged in its you know controversy around it because, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's about, you know, is it wrong for the death penalty to exist? You know, that is one of the underlying themes of the entire movie. And one that, you know, David Gale, who Kevin Spacey plays, is a part of an activist group trying to get rid of the death penalty. It is the same with, you know, everybody else that kind of is surrounding him in this group as well. And you have uh, Bitsy, played by Kate Winslet, as like the impartial news reporter who's kind of going, okay, there's this group of activists trying to get this, you know, removed and everything like that. And one of the biggest activists happens to be on death row for, you know, assumedly killing somebody, but none of the evidence matches up. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. I'll say this. When the film first starts, it starts off a little silly. 
Like, you know, when we're when we're following um, you know, Bitsy around with um uh who's the guy that Bitsy is traveling with? The uh, intern. Uh I'm trying to remember what his name is. Zach. I think it was Zach. Yeah, when when Bitsy's traveling around with Zach, the intern, it comes off like a clumsy, I don't know, it comes off like a buddy comedy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what what are we doing here? Like I thought isn't this supposed to be like a thriller? And you know, as it goes along and finds its way. Basically, the moment Kevin Spacey finally shows up and they start talking about his life and everything like that and his fall from grace, that's when the film gets interesting. Yes. Like, I feel like from a writing standpoint, like the first couple of moments or the first few moments with Bitsy and Zach, I'm like, there, 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 there had to be some writing changes happening in the room because this is a way different movie from what it's going to become. Like, I don't remember the movie being like this, but for that scene, mm-hmm. kind of going through it a little bit, I I have an idea of what they were going for. It wasn't executed perfectly, but I think they were trying to show like Bitsy does not want to be working with anybody whatsoever. And Zach is the intern is trying to like make a good first impression and stuff. So he's like trying to break the ice by being a little comical, you know, Hey, you know, you're, you're the lights on in your car and everything like that. You know, shouldn't you get that replaced you know let's do this you know hey i heard of a good place to get a, you know some food around here let's let's right, check that right. out and everything like he's trying to break like the tension because bitsy is just being so cold to him because yeah she doesn't want anybody else on this case with her and everything and i think that's the idea they were going for there is like to show the dynamic between them where bitsy doesn't want somebody there but zach is like a go-getter and like being like no no i want to help with this i really do it just Mm -hmm. comes off as awkward like you said it does it does so you know going from there and and you got a point that might be what it is uh it just wasn't executed right in my opinion right like i agree it wasn't executed right but i believe that's what they were trying to go for there because yes the tonal shift following everything like that going forward you know, it, it kind of matches what they were trying for, but it was executed a lot better following the first discussion that she has with uh, David Gale. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So cutting from that, we, you know, we finally meet Kevin Spacey's David Gale. And uh, this, this is when I believe the movie starts. Uh, so basically, you know, uh, we learned that, um, you know, he was a uh, head of philosophy at a uh, uh, University of Texas. You know, he was an active member of Death Watch, um, you know, with uh, with his best friend, uh, Constance, played by Laura Linney. I, b- I believe probably the best character in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll get to that. So basically, you know, one day he has a, a you know, there's a student named Berlin, um, you know, a graduate student who's been failing, uh, you know, at a party, party with, you know, professors hanging out with students. Gail gets drunk. Berlin seduces him. They have, you know, uh, rough intimacy. And then uh, Gail gets, uh, David gets accused of, um, you know, rape. Uh, he loses his job, uh, you know, uh, and um, he he, he uh, suffers a fall from grace, pretty much. So marriage is destroyed. His wife leaves him w- with the kid. Career, reputation, everything. He's... Um, basically at the nadir of his life. Now, I want to say something before we move on. The whole plot line of the... I, I don't get what the film is doing when, when he gets accused of, of, of rape. Like, I I don't really get Berlin's motivation. Do you? 
her motivation was she presented, you know, the idea of like in order to pass his class, she was willing to do anything that it took, you know, and being like, right. I will perform sexual favors and everything. But then she right. finds out due to how bad she's doing in the class and everything, she's been kicked out of school. So it's more of like a revenge thing of like, it, you literally ruined my chances at life. So I'm going to ruin you. See, now that just don't make, see, now I do believe that deserves to get panned. That that plot that plot just I mean not plot line well yeah that plot line just didn't make sense didn't make sense because I knew I wasn't crazy I was like there had to have been a motive behind what she did kind of like the motive of, of like the punchline at the end of the film was it that type of thing of making a point but it was just like it, it, was, it was literally just revenge. just revenge it was you know here's my opportunity to take advantage of this person that has wronged me and ruined their life and. You know, it's it's very much like the stories that plenty of people have come out about as well of like going, this isn't what happened, you know, everything like that. And then it's found out, oh, yeah, the person was actually like consensual in it. It's just they framed everything to be that it wasn't. And I think it was kind of using some of those because you got to keep in mind when this came out you know, in the early 2000s. That was a huge Mm -hmm. thing from the 90s of, you know, being like, oh, maybe some of these cases where people said they were raped weren't true Mm -hmm. and everything. So I think they were taking from that and kind of being like, look, this is a way to, like, put them down, like, on a dark path to start with. Like, taking everything away from him as a teacher was from this allegation. Right. Okay, all right. I, I still don't give it a pass. I feel like that's I don't know. I just feel like that's kind of weak in my opinion. Like I just felt like it, it could have been a better way to have a fall from grace. But it is what it is. Two thousand three movie. I mm-hmm. it, it is what it is. But um, what I want to say is uh, where I feel like this film gets the most interesting, and I don't believe it comes off as pandering. I I think it does just the right amount of preaching. Is through the character of Constance. So Constance is, uh, you know, David's friend. You know, they're both activists. Um, you know, uh, Constance uh, pretty much runs Death Watch. So she's the one to keep David in check to be like, listen, man, like, you know, you're, you're going down a bad path. Things don't look good. I see the good in you. Like she stands by this man through everything. When everyone mm-hmm. has kind of like exiled him and said like, oh, man, he's a rapist or he's a poor judge of character he's too extreme she stands by him she's a she's a terrific friend um so you know david at one point you know he he helps out can constance uh with death watch because he he has nothing else uh but even death watch doesn't want to be concerned with david you know they they don't want he hears he overhears a conversation where they're like listen we got to separate ourselves from david gale that's the last person we should be uh next to so anyway um you know, Constance is a great character because she's kind of like the I kind of want to say she's kind of like the Jesus of the movie, you know, like where Jesus was crucified for for our sins. She's she in a way is crucified for David's story, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, you know, even when, even when you take it down to like the final twist at the end, which we're going to get to, I think everything that happens to her, she's kind of like the sacrificial lamb and that that makes her character more powerful. You know what I mean? Because I 
I really feel like Laura Linney, Kevin Spacey is great, by the way. He's great as David Gale and Kate Winslet is is great. But I feel like Laura Linney is kind of like the best thing about this movie. Yeah. Well, it also has to be said that it her character of, you know, Constance has leukemia. She mm-hmm. is aware that she's going to die soon and everything like that. And yeah, it's, you know, if we're going to start getting into the spoiler territory of this movie and everything like that, it the everything around her death is just very confusing. Like nothing makes sense that Blitzy is given as like the evidence for everything. And eventually she gets a video recording that shows, you know, her death on camera and everything. And the way that she's moving and the way that the death all happened is so odd that she kind of continually is going over this tape and going, it just doesn't feel right. There's something that just does not feel right about any of what's going on here. There's Mm. more to this story. And she believes that David Gale is innocent and everything like that. But kind of going to like the prior allegations against him, one of the reasons so many people believe these allegations that he killed Constance and see it as like the, you know, nail in the coffin is because he has already been, you know, charged for a case of rape due to these prior allegations. So the fact of, oh, this other woman was, you know, raped and then murdered and it's done by somebody that was previously, you know, under allegations of rape. Yeah, clearly he did it. That's, you know, Obviously, right. there's no reason to think that he didn't do it, except for all the evidence that kind of goes, there's no way. <laughs> that's another place where I give the film credit, because that's 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 very shrewd of it. Like, even though I hate the Berlin side plot, I, I think it gives way to how David could be looked at as a, a criminal mm-hmm. in this in this case. Like, he's like, oh, well, that's setting this up for this part. OK, cool. Fine. But like I like how the film kind of presents him as like, well, maybe he did do it. I mean, you know, he he did uh, like not because we don't we know what happened. But then again, it could be kind of like a uh, what do you call it? Like um, unnatural narrator. What's that plot device called? The uh, unreliable narrator type of yeah. thing. Yeah, well, we're just hearing. Yeah. Yeah. We don't really know what happened because all the accounts are being given by david gale's kind of retelling of everything to the reporter blitzy so as he's going no the the rape allegations were wrong here's what actually happened do you have proof of this i don't you know i I got a card sometime in the mail from her saying sorry about everything i caused but you know well do you have like know where she is that we could talk to this person and everything he's like no i've i've got nothing so it's literally just his word you know, it's right. it, him going, you know, this is how it happened doesn't necessarily mean that's how it happened. And yeah, so the cards are stacked against him. The only thing kind of going for him is she trusts what he says because everything doesn't add up to be against him for the case details. And that's the only reason that she trusts any of what he says. He'd be is because of these inconsistencies where she goes, somebody set up the tripod, but it had no fingerprints on it, meaning that somebody had to have like set it up, wiped down the fingerprints, but left it there so it would be seen as evidence for the crime, which means mm-hmm. that there's a tape somewhere 
which nobody can see and you know everything like this right yeah absolutely and i i like the backstory um i i like the scenes between uh constance and david especially when david you know uh you know constance tells him about the you know leukemia and uh you know david goes like uh at some point sex is brought up and then you know constance is like well i haven't had a lot of it David's like, oh come on, you, 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 you're a grown woman. I'm sure you've had, you know, you know, a little bit of suitors. He says no, and then she gives up like a low number. He goes, and I like how, you know, obviously there's some romance there, but I like how his friends, you know, they decide to be intimate because uh, at first she's like, I don't want to pity Lay. He says, I, I wouldn't do it out of pity, and mm-hmm. like they have that tender moment where you know they make love, and it, it's such a sweet moment. Because you can tell, uh, even though this might not be romance, it's two friends that are willing to be, you know, intimate with each other for a moment. They're both at the lowest point of their lives right now. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like Constance just lost a case for a woman that was put on death row that she's trying to um, get off the death death row that just ended up being uh, uh, executed. And, you know, David has lost everything. I just thought that was a pretty sweet moment. Yeah. And basically that's like the end of David's story to uh, Blitzy as well, because then he goes, then she was found dead, you know, the next day. And, you know, I was nowhere near there and everything like that. And I have no idea who could have done it, why they would have done it. I don't have any details because I didn't do it, you know? And that's when like Blitzy gets the, videotape and she goes over it constantly and you know uh it was what was it the moment that she realized something about it was definitely up and she had to recreate it uh yeah 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 and one thing i didn't notice uh of course the first time i watched this film melissa mccarthy's in this film dude oh yeah Yes, her name is Nico, and she she runs the uh kind of like the place where where Constance was killed, kind of like treating it as kind of like an a like an attraction tour spot mm. or something like that. Yeah, twenty dollars uh, to see where you know the person was killed in the murder house. Right, and you know Kate Winslet kind of like you know reenacts the uh the 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 the, the murder that happened. Um, so yeah, at some point, um. Uh, what am I trying to say here? Oh, so at some point the truth comes out, right? Uh, wink, wink. The the truth that uh, oh wait, no, it was a suicide. You know, oh, uh, Constance was trying to make a point, or um, yeah, yeah, Constance was trying to make a point, and so <laughs> I, I, this is where the film kind of loses me a little bit because I'm like, well, what was. We'll get into it, but it's it, long story short, uh, Bitsy's too late. You know what I mean? Like, like, like David Gale ends up being executed anyway before she can say, no, wait, he didn't do it. You know, she's too late. He he gets he gets executed. So at the end of the day, the story runs. Everyone kind of pats her on the back. Say, yeah, way to go, Bitsy. Um, you know, uh, David Gale's ex-wife he feels bad. That uh, you know, uh, you know, she she took the child away from him and stuff like that, 
Um, and along the way, we're seeing kind of like exchanges being done between Dusty. We even bring up Dusty. Uh, Dusty is kind of like a ex-boyfriend, friend of Constance that, you know, David Gale always makes quips about and jokes towards. Um, but he was also you know, a part of Death Watch, but he was seen as too extreme of a member of Death Watch. Yeah, there you go. There you go. He's, he's kind of a shady guy a little bit. Um, so basically, you know, um, he's making some exchanges with, I believe, David Gale's lawyer. And then, um, mm-hmm. you know, while we're watching this at the audience, we're going like, uh, wait a minute, what's, what's, what's going on here? What, why does he come back? Um, so then that leads to the final twist of the movie, which kind of angered a lot of folks. Um, in hindsight, I can see it, but I go, okay, point made. Um, so but anyway, um, a videotape labeled off the record gets sent to Bitsy. And I kind of love how the film sets it up, too. Because, you know, Bitsy just hits play. And for a minute, we just see a tight close-up on Kate Winslet's face. And she just looks shocked. And then she realizes um, the tape shows, you know, Constance, like, you know, suicide, you know, getting choked out. And, uh, you know, David Gale, you know, he, he touches the plastic bag, leaving his fingerprints. Looks at the camera, ends the tape, end of movie. Um, and that's that's the end, proving that, you know, they deliberately did this to discredit capital punishment, to dis, to, to show that the death penalty shouldn't be a thing. Right. Um, which is the punchline. Now how, now, how do you feel about that final twist? See, I enjoyed it. I thought that it was a okay. good final twist to it. And okay. because prior to that, I love how they play it off like it, David Gale had nothing to do with this. It was just a plot between Constance and Dusty who had done all this. They had the video showing that Constance like performed everything on herself it, with handcuffing herself, swallowing the key, you know, putting the bag over her head and laying on the floor until she died. And that was the tape that, you know, Blitzy finds at Dusty's house and everything showing everything. The idea behind it, I, I'm curious, where where did it lose you? Like what no, part of the plot? Oh, oh, so I was a kid. Oh, like, okay. I, I was I was I was a kid when I first watched it and I was in <laughs> me was like they just showed the same thing all over again except kevin spacey showed up what's the big deal okay you know, I, I, I wasn't following what the movie was telling me gotcha. i'm saying as an adult now i get it but i'm yeah. saying but yeah 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 but yeah i i absolutely love the idea that like it, at first you're going okay dusty and constance put together everything in order to create a martyr for their cause of being like look you put an innocent man on death row and then you killed him and here's the proof that he was an innocent person you know and mm-hmm. now he's a martyr for the entire campaign and everything and then the twist being that he was a part of it the entire time like he knew that he was going to be a martyr for the cause in order so he was like a false martyr for everything and i love how the tape is even like titled off the record so she can't release right. it or anything like that either you know and I think at that point, even if, you know, she wanted to and everything like that, she probably wouldn't because right. it, it they completely they got their mission, you know, and she understands what their mission was at that point. 
And as a reporter, it doesn't help her at all to now release this tape. Because she's getting all kinds of like critical acclaim because she unboxed this entire thing where they put an innocent man on death row and there was proof about it. And the mayor kind of like, I, I still love that part with the mayor on the news kind of going, look, we're not going to change the rules because it failed one person. You know, this is still a good system. It's perfect the way it is. And it's like that that just comes down for so many political things where it's like, oh, it didn't work in this case and everything like that. Ah, don't worry about it. I'm sure it'll continue to work for the next couple cases. We'll see. But yeah, it, it I can see where the backlash of it comes off because, yeah, it is very politically charged in that, especially because the death penalty was a big deal at that time, you know, and it'd be like somebody making this kind of movie, but around like the debate of guns at this point. And it's like, yeah, that would get a lot of hatred if they did like a false martyrdom kind of thing on that kind of debate today. And that's basically what this movie was back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, like I said, I, I think it's uh, I think it's fine. I think it's mm. I think it's a terrific final twist. Um, But I could see how back then it's like, oh, this movie has crossed the line. Yeah. Or this is ridiculous. Like Roger Ebert gave this zero stars. I was like, damn, that's extreme. I don't think it's that bad. But, you know, people felt strongly about this movie. Um, yeah, dude, I feel like there's some great performances here. I feel like Laura Linney is the MVP. Uh, Kevin Spacey is great as usual. Uh, Kate Winslet is pretty solid. But, uh, yeah, I, I feel like this was a pretty solid thriller uh, with a great twist. Bit of a mess. It's a bit, bit there's some messy parts here. It's, it's a bit of a mess. But, you know, overall, I think it is a, a, a satisfying thriller. I would give it, I give it a 3.5 in hindsight. Yeah, for this one, I, I give it a four because I, I think mm. the way that it slowly drips you information and kind of gives you that perception of like, OK, I think I know where everything's going. And then it, you know, even when you have an idea of what's happening and what's going on, it, it slowly drips you new information that you go, oh, there's more to this puzzle. Oh, there's more. And then that final like twist at the end kind of just finally gives you going, OK, yeah, I, I like that. That was good. You know, everything falls into place very well here. I remember when this film first came out, uh, all the trailers said, the truth will blow you away. Like like kind of one of those, uh, like, like, you won't believe the ending mm-hmm. type of movies. See, I'd be uh, disappointed notice- if I saw marketing like that for this. Because it's not like the ending blew me away. I was just kind of like, oh, that was good. I like that. You know, I wasn't like, oh, my God, my entire perspective of life has changed. Right. Well, you know how they were back then. Oh, yeah. Um, hey, you know, this was co-produced by Nicolas Cage. Was it really? Yeah, it was produced by his company, Saturn Films. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. We just can't get away from the cage, man. Cage is everywhere. Uh, all right, man. So I, I, I this, uh, I, I, I lean towards the beach on this one. So you're leaning towards David Gale. I, I'm leaning toward the life of David Gale on this one. All right, all right. So I guess we got a tie here. All right, y'all. So it's been a tie. Um, heading into the after show here. 
Oh, so you let me know. Um, you uh dude, I I, I gotta tell you, I got distracted by some things, you know how it is. Uh Brad let me know that Attack on Titan is finally ending. Yeah, uh so just this past weekend we finally got the final well, hold on, it was the final season, part three, special episode two. So the end of everything, finally. <laughs> of okay. Attack on Titan. And uh yeah, to uh put it blatantly, it, it's the anime is finally over. <laughs> After ten long years. Hey, I'm excited now. See see now now I have more motivation to watch it because I'm like, it's done now. I can watch it from the well, I already was watching it from the beginning. I dropped off in season two, but now I can finish it. It's all at my fingertips now. Yeah, you can Question finally binge through. Question for you. Mm-hmm. Are you jealous of me? Uh, of the fact that you can binge through it? The fact that I'm, I'm going to like experience all everything from the first time, uh, season two onward. Um, a little bit, because there is there, there's a lot of great moments in this one. Like I can say I started reading the manga for this back when season one finished up and everybody was like, so when season two and they were like, well, technically the manga is only like two chapters ahead of where they ended season one. So there, there's, you know, might not be a season two. And it was like, oh, no, that's that's not how this ends. I'm, I'm going to start reading the manga. And I started reading the manga monthly from that point on. And then eventually season two, season three came and then you know season four the final season all three of those parts you know released and everything so i already knew how this was ending prior to this coming out because it ended back in 2021 i believe is when the final chapter released for the manga and yeah i remember it was very charged conversation about that ending back when it came out and everything and mm. you know, uh, obviously, once you watch it, we'll discuss it a little bit, probably. But yeah, it's it's one of those things where I got to see it month by month with the discussions going on between chapters, which each episode would take place over like two or three chapters. So watching people discuss the episodes afterwards and being like, "Oh, I like this scene," and I picked up on this and everything like that. And being like one of those people that can almost see into the future and being like, oh, you're not even close. You're you're way off on what you're thinking is going on. That's how I was when I when I read all the Game of Thrones books before the show had caught up. Mm-hmm. I was like, OK, all right. I, I know some things now. Yeah. yeah uh, like you were watching going, oh, the next episode is going to be the Red Wedding, isn't it? Oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> no, no. By that point. I had started reading around when the show when the show was leading into season four. Oh, okay. So the red wedding already happened. So I was um I, I was I was trying to read to like you know I was just reading the first I was reading the five books. Um, by that point, by the time it ended, season four came on. I was binging the show up until then. Gotcha. Right. So so let me ask you this: in spirit of the original uh, manga and how it ended. Uh, did the anime stay faithful to that or did it change some things to make it less controversial or it's just as controversial as it originally ended? So they changed from what I can tell or from what I noticed, there were two major changes that they made to the finale. One of those changes I 100% loved 
And one of those changes I definitely did not enjoy as much. Uh, but going back into it, when the original manga ended, I I thought the ending was fine. I didn't go, this is the worst ending ever. I didn't think it was the greatest ending of anything ever, but I thought it was a fine ending. You know? Okay. So everybody that was like, oh my god, this ending is like the worst thing anime has ever come up with. It's like, no, it's not. It's It's not even close to the worst thing. <laughs> Okay, okay, I'll take your word for it. I'm, I'm definitely gonna, uh, definitely gonna check it out. Um, today I went to see a film called, uh, After Death. Uh, it's a film made by Angel Studios, um, you know, kind of a, a, a popular studio, a popular, uh, studios that, uh, made The Chosen, which I believe is like a series based around Jesus and his life. And, uh, they produce Sound of Freedom, which has had some kind of controversy to it. Um, but anyway, this film was about like kind of a documentary about people who, you know, uh, had near death experiences, people who saw visions of heaven, visions of hell. Um, I say pretty solid movie, man. It has some great, beautiful visuals to it. Um, yeah, I, I for what it is, you know, the, I mean, it wasn't an overly preachy movie. It was actually pretty solid. Um, but I felt like the documentary, like it, at some points in the beginning, it kind of took a little bit of me kind of took a little bit like a kind of took a hard minute for me to kind of get into it. Mm-hmm. But overall, I give it I give it a solid 3.5. I think it was very well made. OK. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. So coming into the uh, November here, um, still kind of low on the. uh the film input on what we're coming to what on what on what's coming to the movies here but i did want to mention that uh it looks like the sag group is going to come back to the amptm or studios mm-hmm. for their best and final offer to see if they will if they're going to reconsider it yeah it's a strange thing because i know when the writer strike was going on there was a lot of buzz about it and the actor strike is still going on, but there's really not too much and not as much information about that one coming out as there was for the writer's strike. Wow, that's crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, you want people to be paid fairly, right? You know, oh, yeah. it's, it's, this is what it is at the end of the day. So hopefully there is a resolution made and, uh, you know, we'll definitely see what happens. Um. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely see what happens. And, you know, we, we definitely wish all the best as we uh, move on here. But, uh, yeah, you know, that's another great episode of uh, DFV. Um, take care, y'all.